Well, good morning, Central Church family. Are we awake? Are we alive? Are we happy to be here today? Hey, this section, this side is, this side will get you there. Don't worry. Um, if you're new, my name's Corey, and I can officially say I am one of the pastors here at this amazing church. If you haven't heard, my wife and I are slowly making our way up here as we split time and stuff. Oh, we're excited. We're excited. I hear the winners make you look more like Jesus. Um, you get to exercise a lot of spiritual gifts in that. And speaking of that, we'll just jump right in. We are in a series called Good Vibes Only. Side note, that's hilarious. Um, it looks like I just got done eating french fries and have ketchup all over my I, I, Our design and comms team do an amazing, can we give a hand to our creative team here at this awesome church and all of our creative teams in our network? I could never do that. that, that's awesome. But this whole series is about good vibes. Like how many of us want good vibes in our relationships and our families that are work, right? Like it's just nice when you walk in somewhere and you're like, it's got good vibes, right? The, the modern spiritual term would be like, there's good energy in here, right? That just means Jesus is present. Two or more gathered, he's here, let's go, Jesus is here. But the good vibes, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs predominantly written by King Solomon is all about wisdom. It's all about undergirding, it's all about um, discovering, uncovering what real wisdom is. And I don't know if you know this, but there's worldly wisdom, then there's godly wisdom. And the Bible actually teaches us that before the earth was created, wisdom was there. And wisdom was there and it was the foundation of the earth. And Proverbs actually says that it is God's glory to conceal things and it is king's, a king's glory to search them out. And so what we've been trying to do in this series is to search out more and more wisdom in our lives. And Pastor Craig was nice enough to give me the amazing topic today of restraint. Restraint. I don't know if he's just, he, he knows I need it. You're like, really? He gave Corey a restraint. Now the whole time I've been saying this, some of you have been like, is he going to reference what he's wearing? Like, is this just like a... I, is this like a South Florida Jamaica thing? Like, does he think this is normal? No. Um, the title of my message under this banner of restraint out of the book of Proverbs in the series Good Vibes, the title of my message today is Suit Up. Everybody say suit up on the count of three. One, two, three. And as you can see, I got suited up today. Um, I look like I'm going to a thrift shop prom. You know that or I'm Ronald McDonald on a crazy day. But... Um, this will make sense in a second as we get to it. But under the banner of restraint and the concept of suit up, it made me think about like as a kid growing up, the first couple times I learned about restraint. Like I remember at a really young age, I used to love the movie Three Ninjas. Anybody old enough to remember Three Ninjas? Hey, thank you. I said that in the first service and they were like, you know, Three Amigos maybe, Three Stooges. The Three Ninjas, no, wrong generation. But um. Three Ninjas, Rocky Colton, Tum Tum, you remember? No, some of you grew up like I did, most of you, maybe not. Okay, one of you, yeah. And so I just love, Ninja Turtles, anybody remember Ninja Turtles? Yeah, let's go. Favorite Ninja Turtle on the count of three, one, two, three. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but it probably says a lot about your personality. My favorite was Raphael, a bit rebellious, struggled with restraint, and here we are today. So I grew up and, and I loved karate and so my mom put me in karate at a young age, Taekwondo. And I remember like my first day at karate, I got the little gi, you know, the white gi and put on the white belt. And I remember I'm like three or four years old, I can barely walk and I'm just like karate and I'm just running around the mat. And I'll never forget the sensei day one went, hey, you don't do that. When you step on this mat, you say yes sir, no sir, you bow, you stand where we tell you to stand. When you put on that uniform, you act a certain way. And at three years old, I was just like, yes sir. 
because he told me, when you wear the gi, you don't just represent you, you represent this dojo, you represent everybody in here. And I was like, wow, there's something about suiting up in a uniform. I, I remember that principle was conveyed later in life. I played high school football, and um, on Fridays, I went to a public school, you could wear whatever you want, but on Fridays, if you were on the football team, you had to wear a dress shirt and a tie that they gave us. Every Friday, every game day, dress shirt and tie. And it was like our school's way of trying to prepare young men to be able to learn how to tie their own ties and things like that. And just know you got to dress up sometimes. And I'm not going to lie, as a high schooler, we kind of hated it. And, but I remember if your shirt was untucked, you had to run laps. If your tie wasn't tied right, you had to run laps. Because it wasn't just about being on the football team, but it was presenting who we were as a team. And I'll never forget one of my good friends, our starting running back, played in college, named Stevie Scott. Stevie was known for being a little late. And on Friday, he's in his tie and he's a shirt and he strolls into class late, gets an argument with a fellow's classmate, almost gets thrown out of the class. And my offensive line coach, Coach Summers, 360 pound guy, used to play professional, came up to Stevie Scott, grabbed him by the tie, put him against the locker. This is back when coaches could do that stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm not endorsing that, but it worked. Um, and he was like, when you wear this uniform, you do not show up late. You do not act out. You represent you, the team, the school, and this community. Am I clear? And I remember Stevie, big old boy, was like, yes, sir. Because there's something to be said about when we suit up who we represent and what we represent. And under this banner of restraint, it's kind of broken down like this scripturally. Really, all of life can be broken down in the Bible in these two viewpoints. You can either live culture up, like earth and its culture up, or you can live and think kingdom down, heaven down. Every decision you make, should I take that job? Should I eat at that restaurant? Like, I'm not trying to be like re religious or legalistic with this, but every decision we make, we can think earth and its culture up, or kingdom heaven and its culture down. Even Jesus, when the disciples said, yo, bro, can you teach us how to pray? Because Jesus, when you pray, stuff happens. And when we pray, ain't nothing happening. So can you pre teach us how to pray? What did Jesus teach us how to pray? God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Nice. Good job, guys. Great participation. I appreciate you, all of you in the chat room. I heard it. You said heaven. But his point was always, 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 if we say yes to Jesus, that means we have said yes to the team of Jesus. That means we get the garb of Jesus. We get the uniform of the kingdom. And always, 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 every decision, we go kingdom down, not culture up. Kingdom down, not culture up. And so the book of Proverbs, when it comes to this concept of restraint, tells us what a kingdom down mentality looks like. In Proverbs 17, 27, he says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. First off, I love that the Bible says you can be cool, right? He says, he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. How many of you have been around some people with a cool spirit? Now, a cool spirit doesn't mean like you're not loud. It doesn't mean you're not passionate. It doesn't mean you don't dress crazy. It doesn't mean like you can, you can be passionate. It's not a personality trait. It's a spiritual trait. And what he's saying, it's, it doesn't matter what your personality is. There's something about a cool spirit. And a cool spirit means you're understanding, you're reasonable. The first part of that says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. You know the cool thing about a biblical principle? If it's an actual biblical principle, you can flip it and the antithesis, the opposite of it is true as well. Any biblical principle, if it's an actual kingdom principle, the opposite is true as well. So it says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. So it means like if you have the power to hold back your tongue, if you have the power to restrain your words, then you're smart, you have knowledge. So the opposite with that would be 
If you shoot off at the mouth, you, you dumb. That's the Bible. That's not me. Don't get mad at me. That's the Bible. Right? But how many of you know that to be true? How many of us have ever got caught up in our emotions and we shoot off at the mouth and we're like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Men, you know what I mean? It's like you can feel the word coming and you're literally thinking, don't say that, don't say that, don't you dare say that. And your wife's thinking the same thing. She's like, I know what you're about to say. And then it's like as if the word leaps off of your tongue and you're just like, no, and you can't, right? And the Bible says if you can show restraint, it shows you're smart. It, it goes further. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is a big one. This is a big one under that banner of restraint, under that banner of control. Like what the Bible is basically teaching here is a kingdom down mentality, a fully suited up kingdom uniform allows us the ability supernaturally to control the hardest thing to control in all creation. Some of you are like, what's the hardest thing to control in all creation? Like a wild stallion, you know, like a wild animal. The Bible says the hardest thing to tame in all creation is right between your teeth. It's the tongue. That's the hardest thing for a man to tame is his tongue. And here it says with our tongue, with our words, we have two options every time we speak. Every, the, the Bible says this, the power of life and death is in your tongue, is between your teeth. And some of you, as I say that, you're like, what? And some of you know that to be true. Because it, it's funny, we call it self-fulfilling prophecies. But you know, if you're negative and you're just like, it's not gonna, the relationship isn't gonna work, it's never gonna work, we're not gonna make it through this, it's not gonna work, it's never gonna work, the church is never gonna grow, we're gonna, what happens? You keep speaking death over something, it will die. But you also have the power of life in your tongue. We're gonna make it, we're gonna reach Holland, we're gonna reach this world, the marriage is gonna get through, I, I'm in it, let's go. Like there's something about speaking positivity and speaking life that the Bible says you have that power in your tongue. Here it says someone who speaks rashly and harshly, who let their words rip and run no matter what they're feeling, it says it's like sword thrust. Now we don't really deal with sword, like if someone's walking around with a sword today, they got issues. Like we don't really do swords much unless it's like a medieval festival, right? But the, but the modern day analogy of this, or, or, or a grit, good similarity would be like, you have an AK-47 between your teeth. Like I, some of you are like, you know, this is, this is Southwest Michigan, we do some hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff, so I feel safe to say this. Um, if you aren't for this, don't judge me. But like I grew up in the South, my grandfather owns a bunch of land in East Texas and he grew up, you know, hunting, it's a big part of our family. But, but when I was first introduced to firearms or a gun, it was at a very, very young age. Couldn't touch them, couldn't play with them until I was old enough to know what I was doing. As soon as I was old enough to know what I was doing, I was given a BB gun. And I remember the first time I jokingly, with no BBs in the chamber, pointed it at my brother, my mom grabbed the barrel, took it away from me for a week and I was grounded. She said, you never point a gun at another person. You never point a gun at another person. From a young, I was grounded, I was like four. I was like, what? Like, you know, but I learned consequence. And then after I, I got the BB gun back, I remember I had to learn how to shoot it at targets. I had to learn how to hold it. 
you know, because you, it's serious. It, it's a, it can be a weapon. And so I had to learn it's always facing down or on my shoulder. It's never facing at a person. I never walk around with a loaded. And then I graduated to a 22 with my grandfather. And I remember I had to learn how to load it. I had to learn the safety. I had to learn everything. I sighted in the scope. We did target practice and stuff. Same thing. I had to carry it. I had to follow the rules. Why? Because it was a weapon. And then I eventually upgraded to like a hunting rifle. And it was because I learned to respect the craft. I learned to respect the tool enough and showed maturity. And then I graduated. The problem is, is we all get one of these when we're born. What if we approached our words the same way we hope people approach gun control? Hey, you haven't shown enough restraint to be able to be given this platform, to be able to be given influence in this room. We need to practice restraining and handling this weapon correctly because have you no mind, if you allow emotions to control this, you will be an emotional terrorist and wipe out people with the AK-47 that is your tongue. And some of us know how to do that. A lady over here just looked at her husband. I'm sorry, sir. I'm really sorry. I don't know what y'all talked about on the way here. But we all know how to do that. And what he's saying is, but just like uncontrolled, unrestrained words can annihilate people, you also have the power of healing in your tongue. How many of you would love the spiritual gift of healing, right? Somebody got a headache, you're like, boom, not today, right? And you know, oh, right? Like it's better than Tylenol, right? What if I told you you have it between your teeth? What if I told you maybe like the healing you've been praying for your in your marriage, God already gave you that ability? He just said, hey, you know what will heal your marriage? 18 months of positivity, respect, and encouragement from you towards your husband. Speak life for 18 months and watch what it does to your marriage. No matter how you feel, watch it. Some of you are like, hmm. No, I'm good, right? <laughs> right? Like, but he says, you have the power to heal things between your teeth if you have the ability to show restraint and the control to deploy it at the right time in the right way. It continues in Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. 22, 24, this is how serious this is. The Bible says, make no friendship with a man, and I'll add woman, with a man or woman given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man or woman. You know what that means? Ladies, if he has an anger problem, don't marry him. Don't date him. Fellas, if she's just really passionate, if she gets super angry all the time, the Bible says don't even be friends with them. Now, again, some of you are married, you're stuck in there, we're gonna work through it together. I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about that in a second. Some of you are like, it's too late, bro. <laughs> I put a ring on it. <laughs> and she got mad at the ring, it was the wrong one, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But the point is it's serious because uncontrolled anger, the lack of restraint is toxic and it will kill relationships, it will kill families, it will kill organizations and churches. And here's the deal, I know some of us are like, ah, this is so heavy today, why are we talking about this? The good news is there's an antidote and his name is Jesus if we will suit up. Everybody say suit up on the count of three. One, two, three. And why do we suit up? Because whoever, sorry, verse 29, verse 11, Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. We want to be wise. We want to be wise and let Christ and his wisdom permeate our entire lives and culture. 
And what I love about scripture is it all points to Jesus. I don't know if you know that. If you're like new to church or new to Christianity, the OT, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the first two thirds of the Bible, it all points to Jesus. And then the, uh, the New Testament, the last back third of the Bible, all points back at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the book of Colossians says this, it says all wisdom can be found in Christ. Not some wisdom, not like a good way to model your life, all wisdom can be found in Jesus. And so what that means is if you want to make wise decisions, if you want to exercise your strength, if you want to truly suit up in your kingdom uniform, run any and every decision through the filter of Jesus. And so Paul in the book of Colossians mirrors what Solomon is saying in Proverbs. In Colossians chapter 3, I want to talk about this idea of what it practically looks like, how do we actually deploy restraint. And so for the next few moments, I'm just going to talk about how we suit up in our kingdom uniform and prepare ourselves to have the strength to control. So in Colossians chapter 3, it says this in verse 8, but now you, you, that's us, must put them all away. Now in Colossians 3.12, he says, put on. So in verse 8, he says, put away. In verse 3, he says, put on. In other words, what he's saying, like clothing, there are things we must take off, and then there are things we must put on. Like an outfit you pick out in the morning, there are things because of different environments, we do not go to work in our pajamas, we do not travel. We must take certain things off that aren't appropriate for that environment and put certain things on. And here Paul breaks down for us what the kingdom uniform looks like that we get to wear. We don't take these things off and put these things on so that we can be on God's team. We take these things off and put these things on because we are on the team and we have the ability in Jesus to do it in the first place. And here he says, okay, before you can suit up, you got to take some stuff off. And he starts with verse 8, but now you must take off anger. You must take off anger. On the count of three, everybody say, take it off. One, two, three. It say it like you mean it. One, two, three. If you insist. <laughs> he said, you got to take off anger. I told the, the creative team, I'm going to have the whole church yelling, take it off. And they were like, what? <laughs> Some of you just had flashbacks to your BC days, your before Christ days. Um, he said, you got to take off anger. So I got this red thrift shop jacket representing anger. And he's saying, man, if you want to show restraint, if you want to step into peace and joy, and you want to have real control in your life, and you don't want to hurt people with your words, but rather heal people with your words, the first thing you got to recognize, if you are a follower of Jesus, left to the earth and its culture, left to your natural ways, you wake up in the coat of anger. And we all know this, I literally wake up in this jacket because I hate being woken up, right? The alarm goes off and I'm like, no, right? I'm just, this jacket is on me as soon as I wake up. And the Bible teaches us here, Paul's telling us, is you got to take off anger. Now, let me be clear here, anger in and of itself is not a sin. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Some things should make us angry. Y'all know that? Some, like, sex trafficking should make you angry. Right? Poverty should make you angry. Abuse should make you angry. That's like a righteous indignation. That's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about here is when you are just very irritable, when it's easy to annoy and offend you, and you just get angry on the inside. And the, like, God gets angry, but He gets angry at the right things. 
He says man's anger doesn't lead to the righteousness of God. And in order to get away with that, right at the root, right at the sin, when we wake up tomorrow morning on Monday, we got to recognize, man, I may, be, I may be wearing some anger and I need to take it off. Somebody say, take it off. So we take it off. But then it says that's not enough. We got we to gotta take off anger. All right. And then he says, and take off wrath. Take off wrath. Somebody say, take it off. Yeah. I got my yellow wrath jacket. Which, by the way, this is a fly jacket. I got it at a thrift store. It's the four button. You may see me in this again. I'm just kidding. You're like, wow. <laughs> he does not know Michigan style. No. Um, but he said, we got to take off wrath. What is wrath? Well, wrath is what anger leads to. Some of us are already here every day. Wrath is when anger starts to manifest. It's, it's, uh, it's the crazy eyes. You know what I mean? You can tell somebody's upset, they're angry on the inside, but then all of a sudden they get that look. Some of you know that look, right? Get the crazy. It's when they, they start to clench their fists and teeth. And, and it sounds kind of innocent, like I'm still holding back, but you don't understand, especially guys like... If you're a more dominant physical presence and you start to clench your fists and your teeth, that is inadvertently and possibly unintentionally intimidating somebody that's weaker or smaller around, and that wrath makes it a very unsafe environment for them emotionally. And the Bible's saying, man, so, so, to keep us from getting wrathful, we got to take off anger. But if we get to this point, we got to recognize we don't want to be known as this, so we just got to take it off. Because Jesus allows us to just take this off, even though the culture would say, no, if somebody upsets you, you have full right to let them know. You have full right to let your wrath out on them. The kingdom of God would say, no, you got to take that off. Somebody say, take it off. He says, take off anger, then take off wrath, then he says, take off malice. I don't know why, but I, I just have a cooler jacket for malice. I feel like malice is one of those things we don't see as much anymore. No one's like, you have so much malice in your life. Like, no one said that to me. But he's saying you got to take off malice. Somebody say, take it off. Some of you are like, how far is this going? So you got to take off, what is malice? Malice is when anger and wrath start to materialize in your mind and you start to plan out what you're going to do. Malice is the plans of anger and wrath. But malice is, ooh, just wait till I get home. Malice is, oh, I know what, I'm going to text them. Malice is, you know what, I'm not going to text back. I'm going to let them sit there. And malice is, malice is, ooh, I know what exactly will cut them down. And you're thinking about what you, how many of you argue with yourself when you go for a walk? You're just like, oh, if they said this and I would, that's me. I, if you see me walking and stuff, I'm usually talking to myself. And malice is when we start to plan out what we're going to do in our anger and wrath. And Jesus here through the Apostle Paul says, you got to take that off. Take it off. Just take it off. Some of you tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up a little frustrated and your spouse is going to lean over and go, you need to take it off. And you're going to be like, yeah, and you're going to be I mean malice. <laughs> he says, take off anger, take off wrath, take off malice. And he says, take off slander. Somebody say, take it off. He said, take off slander. Slander is when it all comes to fruition. Slander is when we verbally assault people and attack their character and cut down their character. Here is what slander sounds like. You are this, you always this, you never that. You are this, you always this, and you never this. Some of us know what it's like to be in an argument like that, right? Like modern day, if you've ever sat down with a good counselor, they'll tell you in your anger, never use the words never and always because they're manipulative, incendiary terms, because they're not true. They're not true. And here he's saying, you got to take that slander off. Anytime you are tempted to cut down someone's character, 
out of anger and frustration and wrath, that is not an evidence of Christ in your life. That is the earth up. That is the way this culture acts, and we just got to take it off. And then he takes it a step further. He says, take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Somebody say, take it off. Take off the obscene talk. Now, when I say obscene talk, some of you think immediately I mean like cussing, right? You're like, oh, yeah, can't cuss. Amen. All this, oh, I definitely, when I get angry and wrathful and malice and slandery, I definitely feel tempted to cuss, so I'll take that off. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is anything hurtful that comes out of your mouth. How many of you know some of you can cuss and, like, it doesn't offend people, and then you can look at somebody straight in the eye and say, bless your heart, and it can be one of the meanest things you say. Right? Like, we get real religious with this one, like what's obscene and what's not obscene. A lot of people disguise a lot of obscene talk in church with, hey, brother, how you doing, sister? You know, and then there's the backhanded comment when you walk away. I wouldn't have worn that. What? <laughs> right? Like, when I say obscene talk, it reminds me of a story, and I, I joked about it in the first service. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should share this. Um, but one of the things I love about Water's Edge and one of the things I love about Central is we're just real. Can we just be real and raw today? Do y'all mind? Like, can we all take off our religious preconceived notions and just be real for a second? One of my favorite, thank you, one person said yes. The rest of you, I'm going to do it anyway. And um, yeah. So like, one of my favorite things in life is to reach people that are far from God. It's to see somebody that has no concept of church or religion come to know Christ. Now, I went to the University of Florida, which was at that time the number one party school in the country. And I had a Bible study at my house in the new number one party school in the country. And I remember my junior year of college, we had this Bible study on Thursday nights at my apartment. And like 10, 20 college guys at UF would just show up and we'd study the Bible. And one day, a buddy of mine invited his friend from high school who also attended UF, who happened to be the president of the biggest party frat at UF. And this guy showed up to our Bible study. His name was Matt. And I was like, dude, this is dope. Matt's here. Cool. And he's exactly what you would expect the president of the biggest party fraternity to be, just jacked up on roids, da, da, da. And he, he sat through a whole Bible study and hardly said any words. And then at the end of the Bible study, we were like, hey, Matt, what'd you think? And he was like, yeah, dude, that was cool. I really like what y'all are saying, but can I be honest? I just really like sex and drinking and partying way too much, so that's probably what I'm going to do right now. He was just honest with me. And you know what I said? Thank you for your honesty. Like if he said, I'm a Jesus follower and I want to do these things, then we'd have a problem. But he said, no, nah, I'm not about Jesus, I'm about these things. And I was like, I totally get it. If you're not about Jesus, I get that. But here's the crazy part. I said, hey, I hope you come back. And he came back. He just came back. And he came back seven weeks in a row. And it was like the seventh or eighth week, this fraternity party president gave his life to Jesus. He literally, in my apartment, prayed the prayer. And it was like, yeah! Right on! But guess what? New believers are called baby Christians, and baby Christians are messy. They don't know when to eat, they don't know what to say, they're making a mess. That's why church should always be a little messy, because we should have new Christians always coming, coming to Jesus. They don't know what to say, they don't know how to dress. That's okay, we love you, we were all you at one point. And this guy was that, and I'll never forget, a couple weeks later, amen, no, hold on, wait, we'll see if you clap after this. <laughs> a couple weeks later, you know, he's starting his journey, and we said, hey, Matt, at the end of our time, I said, Matt, you want to pray for us? And he was like, yeah. I was like, cool. You know, he's just a bold guy. But he didn't really know how to pray yet. Now, all prayer is is talking to your dad that loves you, except he's all powerful and all loving and all forgiving. And so it's a great thing to talk and listen to your father. 
And so we had kind of talked to her, I said, hey, Matt, why don't you wrap us up in prayer? And Matt goes, cool. And he prayed like the first timer's prayer, like, you know, like, thank you, God, for my fraternity brothers. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you for this Bible study. Thank you, God. God, you're so good. God, and I'll never forget this moment. And he kind of starts getting tripped up, and he, and he doesn't quite know what to say. And he goes, God, 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 you're the shh. Now, told you, just roll with me for a second. It's under the banner of the obscene talk. When he says that, everybody that grew up in church in that circle, they all went. <laughs> and they look, and I'm the Bible study leader, and so they're all kind of looking from, at me, like, what are we going to do? Meanwhile, Matt's still going, yeah, and, you know, and I'm like, I had to think fast, and I go, amen. <laughs> and I had to think, why would I amen that? Because if I was being honest with myself, that was the highest praise Matt knew how to give. If LeBron James walked in the room, Matt would have been like, oh, LeBron, you're the bleep bleep. Like, that's what he said when he really liked something. And I know today we would go, you should know better. He didn't grow up in church. He didn't know better. That was normal, common vernacular to him. And in his wording, that was the highest praise. And you know what? I think it put a smile on God's face. Now, I'm not endorsing you to pray like that or say that, especially in church. But are y'all catching me there? Obscene talk has less to do with the actual word and more to do with the heart behind it. And what he's saying is, if we don't take these things off, we will cut people down with the AK-47 between our teeth. But if we will take them off, obscene talk isn't even an option because we're prepared and ready for it. And ultimately, he says, take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. See, ultimately, he says, we got to take off lies. Somebody say, take it off. Some of you are a little worried there. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're keeping it PG. He said, you got to take off lying in the old self. Ultimately, it's all got to go away. Why, why is lying the last one? Because anger that leads to wrath, that leads to malice, that leads to slander, that leads to obscene talk, ultimately leads to shame and leads to separation. And so then we start lying to ourselves where they're just this and they're just that. And then we start lying to others to cover up who we are and what we've said. And ultimately, lies break trust. A broken trust breaks families, breaks organizations, breaks churches. And we see now that a kingdom down mentality cannot be suited up in that junk. And every day, because we've said yes to Jesus, we get the ability to take those things off. Just take it off. Take it off. Take it off. Look at the person next to you and say, take it off. Take it off. If you are struggling with any of these today, I know it sounds simple, but as easy as we take off that jacket, you can choose to take it off. But here's the deal. Now we're in this place. Now we're down to ground zero. Now we're going, okay, so, so what do we do? And Paul, through the letter to the Colossians, says it's not enough to take it off, but we got to suit up. We got to suit up. Somebody say suit up on the count of three. One, two, three. He says in Colossians 3.12, put on then, suit up as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I wish I had time to break that down, but on a quick one, first off, you're chosen. If you said yes to Jesus, it's because he chose you. You did not pick Jesus. He picked you and revealed himself to you, and you go, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Thank you for choosing me. But I wanted to remind somebody today that if you've said yes to Christ, you have been chosen by him. You are on the greatest team to ever step on the court of life, and it is the kingdom of God and his team, and he hand picks you before you were born. That's important to recognize. He says you're chosen and holy. 
Holy means set apart. Holy means God has a purpose for you beyond what you can even think or imagine. Think your wildest dream for your life and understand that God has more in mind for you than you do. He says you are chosen and holy, and then he says beloved. Now when I say beloved, some of you ladies are like, ah, beloved, yay, right? Because you're like, ah, I am my beloved and he is mine, Song of Solomon. Like, beloved sounds great for a woman. Men, when I say you're beloved, some of us are like, ah, right? Like we don't use that word. We're like, we're not at the gym and we're like, what's up, beloved, dap? Like, no, I'd be like, I'm not your friend. Um, <laughs> but man, I want you to hear this. When he says that word beloved, what he's saying is you are chosen, God picked you. You've been adopted into his family. You are holy. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And imagine like a good father kneeling down to you and he says, hey, son, I love you and I'm proud of you. Many of us men never heard that from our dads. And here Paul's saying, hey, God, the father heart of God is like that. He's kneeling down and he's saying, hey, I love you and I'm proud of you. So this is where we start, chosen, holy, beloved. But then he says, now put on compassionate hearts, put on compassion. Everybody say compassion on the count of three, one, two, three. Now for compassion, I, I like to put on as a reminder my, my wedding ring. Because compassion, compassion means co-passion. It means we are passionately in this together and for each other. Compassion means I count you more significant than me, means I'm putting you first. That's compassion. And we are to put on compassionate hearts every day that count others more significant than ourselves. But here's the secret to everything we're about to put on. Just like this ring, when I put this wedding ring on, am I married? Somebody better say yes or my wife's going to beat y'all. Like, when I put this wedding ring on, am I married? When I take this ring off, am I still married? Amen, right? <laughs> It's the same way. We can put these things on as reminders, but these are metaphorical things we suit up in every day. And so the first thing he says, you got to put on compassion. Then he says, you got to put on kindness. Everybody say kindness on the count of three. One, two, three. Kindness. Now, kindness to me is just a gift. I've gotten some gifts. I got these beads from a, an amazing family in Jamaica. They just remind me of the generosity, generosity of the people down there. I got this other bracelet from our Water's Edge conference and it has the name of my wife on it. And it was just such a kind gift. He says, man, you put on compassion and then you put on kindness. How many of you have ever been frustrated with someone else because they were in the wrong? Raise your hand. Don't look at them, just raise your hand, <laughs> right? You know what the quickest way to get them to repent or change their mind is? Kindness. The Bible says it's the correction of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Nope. It's not what it says. The Bible says it's the conviction of the Lord. No, it's not what it says. The Bible says it's the condemnation of the Lord. No. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if God says, hey, the way I get humanity to change their mind is I overload them with my kindness. So if you want your spouse, your parent, your child, your teammate, your workplace partner, if you want them to change their mind, be kind to them. Wow. You talk about kingdom down, not culture up. Culture would say, put your foot down. Tell them they're disrespecting you. Stand up for yourself. God would say, be compassionate and kind. Watch what happens. So he says, you got to suit up in compassion. You got to suit up in kindness. Then he says, you got to suit up in humility. Now I got to watch for humility because it's always time to be humble. Can I get an amen? 
always time to be humble. The word humility here actually can translate more to know your place. Humility in the Bible literally means know your place. So first off, like it's like I'm a human, I'm not God, right? I'm above the animals, I'm below God, that's my place. So whatever you say, God, you're on the throne, I'm not, I'm down, right? But then it's just in life, like if you're a kid and you have parents, know your place. In other words, do what they say until you pay for any aspect of your life. Amen, parents. <laughs> parents, it means know your place. That is your child. That is your opportunity and gift from God. Like an arrow in a quiver, it is not meant to stay there. What do you do with an arrow in a quiver? You sharpen it and you strengthen it as much as possible so that you can shoot it out into the world and make the greatest kingdom impact it can allow. That is what your children are. And to know your place is to know you are just a quiver holder and an arrow shooter. And it is your job to strengthen and sharpen them as much as you can for 18 or so years and fire them into the world with everything they've got for the glory of God. Humility. If you're a CEO, know your place. You have been given the opportunity to lead. Lead humbly. Know your place. So, so he says, you got to put on compassion. You got to put on kindness. You got to suit up in humility. And then he says, you got to wear meekness. You got to wear meekness. And for meekness, I have this um, lion necklace. My mom got this for me, and it's got a little lion down here. And some of you are like, lion for, for meekness? Because when I say meekness, some of you think weakness. But how many of you know Jesus was described as meek and Jesus was not weak? Can I get an amen? See, here's, here's a good definition of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It's power with direction. Meekness is that six foot six Navy SEAL that just went on that huge mission and beat up a bunch of bad guys. And he comes home and he drops to his knees with his six-year-old son and he says, let's wrestle. And his six-year-old son grabs him and he lets him tackle him. That's meek. Question, could the Navy SEAL annihilate the sun? Yes, right? But because he's meek, he has strength under control. Meek doesn't mean weak. Meek actually means you are stronger than those that can't control their words, that can't control their actions. And here, because we have Jesus and he modeled it for us, we put on compassion, we put on kindness, we put on humility, we put on meekness. And then he says, and then put on your favorite word, patience. Everybody say patience on the count of three. One, two, three. He says, put on patience. Now, Zeal is the name of our campus down in Kingston, Jamaica. And I put this on for two reasons to represent patience. One, because if you've ever done ministry or anything in the Caribbean, you know it takes patience. Um, we are not known for our timeliness. Zeal, shout out. What's up, guys? Wagwan, soon come. Um, that's an inside joke. If any Jamaican tells you soon come, give them a few hours or days. It doesn't mean minutes. Um, but I also put on this for patience because um, we at Zeal at our campus down in Jamaica haven't been able to gather for over a year because of COVID and everything. And we actually may get extended uh, even further. I just want you to know, guys, we're so blessed here. We're so blessed. This is like my crack cocaine, like getting to gather with God's people and getting to see people say yes to Jesus and getting, like, I hope you know how amazing this is. Some of us after last year not gathering, getting to come back together, it's like, Oh, it's like a nice refreshing shower. It's like standing under a beautiful waterfall. Like this is just such a blessing. But we went through a year of patience and at zeal, man, we're still in this patience time. But the Bible says, let patience have its full and complete work in you so that you will be complete lacking nothing. When you are patient, you look more like God than you could ever know. Why? Because what is God being right now? 
patient. God on his throne could come back at any moment. You know why he's not? Not because he's being negligent, but because he is patiently allowing more people to come to know him. So he says, we got to suit up. Everybody say suit up on the count of three. One, two, three. You got to suit up in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Somebody say forgiveness on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Forgiveness. I have the hoodie of forgiveness here because forgiveness feels nice. And it's a Water's Edge forgiveness hoodie. So I'm representing Zeal, Central, and Water's Edge. See all the intentionality? I know you're super grateful for it. So forgiveness is not optional for a believer in Jesus. He says you must also put on forgiveness. Now how many of us, let's be honest, struggle forgiving some people in our lives? Yeah. It does not come naturally. What comes naturally is anger and malice and wrath. Earth up. The culture here would be an angry, resentful, unforgiving culture. But even modern day psychology outside of the Bible is echoing and affirming what the Bible says. That not forgiving people is poison to your psyche and soul. And I would just throw this out there. If you struggle to forgive, we get it. We've all been there. But the answer to that is understanding more and more how much you've actually been forgiven. And the more you are in touch with how much God has forgiven you, the easier it is to forgive others. And when we want to see peace and joy and love in our relationships, we must show restraint. But in order to show restraint, we must take off the ways of the world and we must put on the suit of the kingdom. We must suit up. And finally, he says, after you put on forgiveness, verse 14, and above all these, put on love. Somebody say love on the count of three. One, two, three. He says you got to put on love. And it kind of brings it all together. And see, the, the difference between this and that is that's just what's on when I wake up. That just comes natural. Those are the things that if I am not in Jesus, that is the way of the world. That is the law of the land. Like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You make me mad, you frustrate me, you offend me, I'm coming right back at you. And the Bible says true strength, true gospel representation, and true peace and joy is found when we can take off the ways of the world and we can suit up in the kingdom, not so we can earn God's love, but because we already have it. And we can start our days going, no, 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 I'm not going to act like that because I'm on God's team. I think kingdom down, not culture up. And so when somebody offends you this week and you want to lash out and you want to rot, you want to give them all this, think about this one. This is where we'll land it. Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger when I'm proactive and intentional and I suit up in the kingdom gear. Good sense. I can be slow to anger. And I love the way it says this. And it is, it is his glory or her glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. That, that word overlook there. Imagine like a word picture, like imagine passing over something. Imagine an overpass. So tomorrow, this afternoon, this week, I would encourage you when you wake up, if you've said yes to Jesus, put on the uniform. Suit up. Take off what you need to take off. Put on what you need to put on every day 
This is, this is a regular practice. This is a regular practice. And ultimately, the next time, the next time, the next time someone offends you, the next time they say that thing and it rubs you the wrong way, the next time you get triggered and you want to fire that AK-47 between your teeth, the next time that happens, I want you to remember this. I'm over it. Everybody say that on the count of three. Say, I'm over it. One, two, three. I'm over it. When somebody offends you, it is your glory to pass over it. So when somebody offends you this week, you can go to the intersection of conflict. You can go to the intersection of anger. You can go to the intersection of wrath and stop there and chop it up and see what happens. Many of us just get in a wreck there or we get held up there. Or the next time someone offends you this week, you can recognize that I have been suited up with Christ. I am one with Him and though I am not perfect, He has called me to a life of peace and joy and completion and unity. And because I represent Jesus and I get to wear the uniform, the next time this John gets in my way and they offend me, don't worry, I'm over it. Because my calling is too high to be brought down there. My calling in the kingdom is too high to be brought down there. And so just like an overpass, real-time forgiveness, the next time you feel offended, just think, I'm over it. That is under me because I am part of the kingdom of God. Somebody comes at you, what's wrong? What happened to you? How can I help? Compassion. Somebody does something wrong to you, takes from you, how can you bless them? Kindness. You have the ability to tell somebody a piece of your mind and they deserve it. Hey, I think you're probably hurting right now. How can I help you? Meekness, strength under control. Somebody just isn't getting it right, isn't getting it right, and you love them anyway, and you invite them to church, and you invite them to your small group, and you keep patience. And ultimately, we forgive and we love everyone because Jesus has forgiven and he loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Seriously, God, just thank you. Shout out to everybody online, God. I pray that you're filling those spaces and places with your presence. But God, man, there's just something special about being in the house. I pray we would feel it that we would never be entitled to sitting with air conditioning and cushy seats and multiple outfits, but God, more than the clothes we put on our back and the cars we drive, that this week we would put on, that we would get in touch with the kingdom down mentality. God, right now, for anybody under the sound of my voice that's struggling with some of these things, that's struggling with restraint, God, we can all confess we've all been there. We've all been in those seasons. Father, I pray that you would give them the supernatural ability to take off what they need to take off. Maybe today as we sing this last song to you, the King of Kings, God, it would be a moment where people can say, that's not who I'm gonna be anymore. I'm gonna take off that anger. I'm gonna take off that wrath because God, you're not that way with me. And God, right now, I pray that all of us that know you would suit up, that we would supernaturally step into these attributes that you modeled for us, that we would have the power to show restraint this week so that we can walk in peace and gratitude under the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.